Hello, my name is Asia Essex, and welcome to Footage Not Found, a podcast dedicated to contextualizing and filling your cinematic gaps. You can consider this season four of the Indiana University Cinema Podcast after our long hiatus. There will be, starting in September, bi-weekly episodes focusing on things that we wanted to highlight at the Indiana University Cinema this year. There will still be interviews as well as some scripted material focusing on giving you the histories and contextualizations of artists and films and movements that I think are very interesting. For today's inaugural episode of Footage Not Found, we have returning guests Alicia Cosma and Brittany Friesner on to talk about the new series, New America's Cinema. If you want more information on that, please check the episode description where we will be putting links to everything mentioned in this episode as far as programming at the IU Cinema. So from here, I will turn it over to Brittany, Alicia, and Asia of the past and the future simultaneously to talk about the IU Cinema's new series, New America's Cinema. of WFIU Studios are two returning guests to the podcast, but the first guest of the new inaugural version of this podcast, the first guest for footage not found because they are my bosses and pay my pay <laughs> to pay for my rent. Uh, would you like to introduce yourselves? My name is Dr. Alicia Cosma, and I am the director of Indiana University Cinema. My name is Brittany Friesner, and I have a new title. I was formerly the associate director of the IU Cinema, and now I'm the managing director. I am here to have you two both to kind of illuminate and unveil a new program at the IU Cinema, one that is not completely new, but serves a very specific purpose, it seems. So we are talking about, is it New America Cinema or New America's Cinema? Plural. All Americas. North, Central, South America. So New America's Cinema. From my understanding, we have to talk about the International Art House series and the history of that because this is born out of the International Art House series. So, Brittany, what is and was the International Art House series, and then what is it becoming in its stead? Yes, because it's very important that it is sticking around. It was established as one of the founding programs of IU Cinema, one of the most popular, actually, through our audience surveys, too. But it's uh, one of the most reoccurring as well. We always have an art house cinema every semester. Uh, and in the summer when we have summer programming. And it was our main series to highlight new contemporary cinema from around the world. And it is co-sponsored by the Writer Film Series, which is the long-running film series in town. And part of that was, of course, overlap, you know, that we were looking to do a lot of the same things that the writer had done and done so well for 25 years. And at this point, I think it's 32, mm -hmm. 31. And we didn't want to step on anyone's toes, but we also wanted to have a collaborative relationship with Peter at the writer and say, okay, does this film maybe fit our audience better or your audience better? Or do we show it first and then you show it? Um, so that's been a longstanding collaboration. And there's been, over the years, a few metrics that we've set out to make sure we're not all showing art house from the same countries all the time, you know, yes. because there are some usual suspects. Um, your Japans, your Frances. Yes. Your... <laughs> but what we also realized is with the number of spots we were able to commit each year that we were focusing almost half 
behalf of International Art House on releases from U.S., Canada, um, a lot of English-speaking countries. Um, so I was inspired this year um, at the Seattle International Film Festival. They have an Ibero-America series every year. And I was like, maybe this is a way that we can address our recognition, as, as Alicia and I have been reassessing some of our programming priorities. We don't want to have an international film series that is filled with primarily non-international films. Um, so how can we address that? So that was the start of us thinking about how we would shift. So it's kind of like International Art House Redux. <laughs> it, it's like a subset of International Art House that we were doing. So it's really a way for us to um, focus the programming. I don't want to say themes because obviously the films will still run the gamut. We've got documentaries and drama in, in this inaugural series. But yeah, that was the way we were. We are framing it right now. Again, this is the first time, so we'll see how it works. But we've got ideas about how we are defining Americas. Okay. In what way? What does that mean? Well, obviously, Americas are Americas. So it's North, Central, South mm -hmm. America. It's films from those countries. However, some of the films we have in this fall's series are co-productions. The Pez Outlaw is the one of the documentaries that are in the series this fall. And it's actually a co-production between the U.S. and Austria. We're like, you know what? That counts. If the U.S. is involved, if an America is involved, it counts. Now, could we have made the same justification to include it in the um, International Art House series because of Austria? Maybe, but it's all English language, so we probably wouldn't. But these are the kinds of adjustments we will continue to be making as we progress after this inaugural series to see how things work. Okay, my next question is, what if the actress America Ferreira is involved? Is it still part of the new America cinema? Depends. <laughs> Depends, okay. There's a very complicated rubric for what counts as new American cinema. No, I mean, you know, Brittany um, articulated this really well. New America cinema was kind of like a light bulb moment of like a couple different it the programming issues that we had faced, right? The first being, there's so many movies we want to show. The second being longstanding conversations we've had about the term international doing more work than it possibly can in the International Art House series. A kind of new conversation which stemmed from her time at the Seattle International Film Festival was the lack of just like awareness or programming for films from Mexico, Central and South America. And I will say when we were programming Finding those films that had distribution in the United States was the hardest part of programming yep, this absolutely. series. Unless it's a co-production or unless it's a co-production or it is a high profile filmmaker, it is quite difficult to find U.S. distribution for films from Mexico, Central and South America. Mm -hmm. And this series is a really nice challenge for us in that way to find those films. I think we had talked about this a little bit on our Sundance episode and we had kind of talked about the idea that we get a very small like less than 1% of 1% of international films made make it to the US actually get enough buzz for theaters to want to play them and then we are also part of a even smaller subsect of we live in the Midwest. Obviously, we have a world-class cinema that we are programming these at. But even then, we only have so many slots. How has that changed the way you are choosing these films 
to try to highlight things that aren't getting buzz from like TIFF or Sundance. Or I mean, it, it is it is a little different because I think we're doing a little more deeper digging um, because we do have these specific programming themes in mind. But I will say that there were a few films and this is a challenge that we have with any series. There were a few films we did want to include that just don't get released until after the dates we had available to program these. Yeah. So I'll say we have a film that was one of my favorite films I saw at Sundance mm-hmm. that will play an international art house that by like geographic rights should be in new America's cinema. Mm-hmm. It just wasn't coming out yet. Yeah. We might include films moving forward in international art house that for whatever reason didn't make it into new America's, but we won't include us films in international art house. That's at least our, our commitment right now. We'll see how it works out with yeah. all the factors that go yeah. into it. But sometimes there's just movies that are so good, but you can't control when they're coming out. So sure. Maybe we're making, you know, logical gymnastics to include them in International Art House, but I don't care because that movie's great and everyone should watch it. I mean, Um, I think that's part of programming to an extent. Sometimes it's just a movie that needs to be seen. Yeah. Even if it's just your opinion that it needs to be seen. But on that same metric of like programming things because they need to be seen and also like deep diving what have been some surprising discoveries diving deeper into cinema from north central south america because we were having such a hard time finding films from mexico central and south america that's where we really did deep dives like i was on like Latinx, Central American, Mexican, like history museums who did programming, looking at old like film series programs and uh, cultural events that they had been doing just to kind of get a roster of titles like festivals from other countries. And that's when I kept stumbling on this one film called Dos Estaciones. I have to say I haven't seen it, but Brittany saw it at Sundance. And I said, hey, have you heard of this film? Dos Estaciones, I keep seeing it over and over and over again. And that light bulb was like, oh, wait, yes, I saw it at Sundance. It is awesome. Mm -hmm. We need to program it. It's really like a triangulation process because, I mean, hopefully faithful listeners will remember from our Sundance episode, we watch a lot of movies at festivals. (laughs) And oftentimes that's times three festivals a year times two people. It's not uncommon to not have all of those films at the top of your brain all the time. Mm. Sometimes your memory needs to be jogged. Yeah, this is why I started a letterbox account, honestly. Mm-hmm. I fought it for the longest time, and I was like, I cannot keep, I cannot remember. I have to keep a list. I can't yeah. remember. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Also, there's a festival brain where it's like, even a remote festival, there's a festival brain of like, you watch such a high capacity of things mm-hmm. in whichever environment, in whatever your mood is. That sometimes things just get cloudy by nature of uh, your brain being overloaded by yeah, like yeah. everything that you're watching. Even today. films you loved and that were amazing. Yes. Absolutely. I mean, I, I constantly hear people talk about like, uh, I saw this, whatever the hot five star festival movie of the year was, they'd, they'd be like, well, yeah, but I saw that at like 10 p.m. after watching like 12 movies that day. And so I didn't <laughs> like it. Mm-hmm. And they have to like swing back around to like revisit it and like, you know, find it later or whatever. Obviously, you're, you're doing festival watching to like find these movies. And you said you were doing some research and digging by like looking at like art and history museums and like things like that. Did you have to go through any other avenues? I was going to say, we also, more than usual, because a lot of these films didn't have distribution, we had to go back to print sources from Mm. festivals and say, okay, I need to contact now whoever was doing 
promotions for this film at the festival, or I ended up booking the Pez Outlaw with the filmmakers. So there were some cases where, you know, obviously there was no distribution. And so how do we find this film? But even in cases where there wasn't distribution, in some instances, we were able to still book the film. But in others, we, we they were just like, I'm sorry. Or they just never responded to our emails. I'm realizing how cutting edge this series is right now, actually, <laughs> for some of these films. And also realizing or remembering for some of them, like Pez Outlaw and Dos Estaciones and Tahara, yeah. We'll have the Midwest premieres for sure. Yeah, we I'm did so sad. much work to yeah. get these films here, so everybody better come watch them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And some of them, and, and this was, I think Dos Estaciones in particular is, okay, I'm going to give you this film, but like, can you say it's a sneak preview or can yeah, you not sure, market yeah. it until this date? Now, since then, Dos Estaciones has distribution, and it will actually, I think, be released in New York the week before we show it, or the same week we are showing it. Love that. Yeah. An interesting question that popped into my head while talking about this is obviously the focus is on Central and South America. Did this open up the opportunity to program Stranger Things from North America? Or not even just Stranger, just like things that like aren't being played to death on the uh, art house circuit. I will say yes, but again, we ran into the issue of we had a couple titles that I think are gonna going to end up being those perfect art house films where people are either very into them or they absolutely hate them. <laughs> I'm thinking about a film called Soft and Quiet. Yeah, It has been theoretically picked up but it has no release date. It has no contact information. There's nothing out there. So like Brittany is hunting it down and we are hoping to bring it probably for not quite midnights mm -hmm. in the spring because mm -hmm. we're both incredibly intrigued by it. And it is, I think, going to end up being that type of really provocative film that like requires watching twice or requires conversation when it's over and it's by um, a young like BIPOC woman filmmaker from California. They are films that don't necessarily fit into a not quite midnight vibe. They don't necessarily fit into a Friday night frights vibe. They are that weird liminal art house space that is the best space to be in. There were several of those actually. We had two indigenous filmmaker films we wanted to show from Canada. For, yeah. And we just one of them I got in touch with the producer, but then ever got responses. It hasn't been picked up. Um, the other one I can't remember. We yeah. pretty much tried to focus on everything but U.S. films. Yeah. And if it was going to be U.S. films, it needed to fill a programming need that we had already identified as something that we wanted to do more of. Whatever category that fell in. There, yeah. were, there are several that we've identified as being important to us moving forward. The really nice thing about New America Cinema and International Art House Obviously, they are cohesive series, but they're cohesive series outside of like theme or genre or really even audience type. So you do get the breadth and depth of like the hardcore art house community bounded within a series of five films in five weeks. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. And so they are seemingly like really different. And they are actually all quite different, <laughs> <laughs> but different in the best way possible. And, and it was kind of the point is we wanted to part. The reason it's called New America Cinema is this is how we want to view America. This is how we want to define America, not a United States. Mm -hmm. Americas is really we wanted it to be. So it's almost like the microcosm of international art house. What is it? 
Well, I don't know, but we're going to certainly redefine this segment of it. Mm-hmm. And and at least for us at the IU Cinema, we purposely were looking for not the usual suspects. Yeah. I am thrilled to start us off. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> the first weekend back. I'm sorry. It's my favorite thing ever. For this fall may be the most bonkers first weekend back ever for IU Cinema. Uh, it makes me giggle in the best way possible because... How or maybe one of the reasons we even started thinking about new Americas outside of the very cogent and correct ones that we've already identified is because I threw like a tantrum like a baby that we had to play Crimes of the Future. (laughs) (laughs) And I said, Brittany, I know you don't care about David Cronenberg, but we have to play this movie. And so as Brittany said, you know, the cinema reopens for public programming starting on August 18th and the first two films we're showing the first one is Star Wars The Phantom Menace and immediately the next day we're showing David Cronenberg's Crimes of the Future and sandwiched between our two Crimes of the Future screenings is Cat Video Fest (laughs) (laughs) tell me there's not something for literally everybody truly (laughs) but Cronenberg's Crimes of the Future will kick off New America Cinema like International Art House, all of our New America's titles will play twice. So you'll have two opportunities to see them. When you come to see Crimes of the Future, if there's a maniac cackling in the back of the theater, it's me. Because I'm also convinced. Be me. Yeah, I'm convinced like me and Asia and four other people I know are the only people that understand David Cronenberg makes comedies. Yes. Very funny man. I will say this is the only film of the five New America cinemas that Alicia and I both have seen. I saw it uh, at a, during a film festival um, when another when a screening didn't happen, and so they offered us a screening of this, and I laughed. Yes, and I think the first screening of that, unless something goes terribly wrong, I will be introducing. I'm pretty sure. So prepare for me to use the word trans a lot. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> all right, and then what is our next film in the New America Cinema schedule? This is Tahara, which I have not seen. So. Tahara is well. I didn't even realize it's all right now, but we really back-to-back New Americas with two, like, black comedies. (laughs) Tahara is a a film by a first-time filmmaker named Olivia Peace. It stars Rachel Sennett of Shiva Baby and also of the upcoming Bodies, Bodies, Bodies. And it is about two high school best friends who are at a their local synagogue for a day because another of their one of their classmates has taken their own life so they're there for a memorial and they're there processing with other classmates so that's like the story or but the film is about the way that sex sexual identity and friendship plus religion circulate amongst these two girls and their classmates. It's really clever. It's really funny. And it's both of those things in very quiet ways. And specifically, I think about that line from Virgin Suicides. Well, obviously, doctor, you've never been a 14-year-old girl. It's that, but with a tremendous degree of self-awareness and humor, and also the ability for them to like simultaneously take themselves very seriously and not seriously at all at the same time. And 
It's a this, phenomenal debut. And this is a film that came to us, actually, yeah. while we were in the midst of programming and, and kind of had one or two spots left that we were like, crap, this is what I want to put here, but I'm not hearing back or we can't get it by this date. And this was one of those, I'll be honest, rare instances <laughs> where a distributor said, hey, we have this film coming out. Would you consider it? And I was like, hey, Alicia, I don't have time to watch this. Do you? And and you know, this is, I'm such a hater. I watched it because I hated the way they were describing <laughs> it. It made me mad because it was very clearly a movie about two teenage girls and they described it as, quote, gossipy. Mm-hmm. And I was like, nothing about this plot summary or any of the images you're showing me looks gossipy. I'm going to watch it because I'm mad now. Yes. And I watched it and I was like, well, I am still mad, but this is a great movie. And we will just contextualize it differently yeah and it, to be more representative say, yeah it's a very self-assured directorial debut awesome it's really i really enjoyed it mm-hmm. yeah we will be showing the documentary the pez outlaw which is actually exactly what it sounds like um but obviously more in depth than that it gets into more themes but short version there was a guy who was feeling depressed and down and out and he got into collecting pez Pez and or Pez dispensers. Pez dispensers. Okay. I Specifically Pez, Pez dispensers. dispensers. Gotcha. Yes. Thank yes. you. The candy's superfluous. So <laughs> yes. what, what, you know, I don't want to give too much away because the documentary is a discovery about the world of Pez for sure. Um, but also this guy. Um, and, and primarily why it appealed to me is it dealt with how a lot of people make fun of people or don't understand people who collect things. And I think those folks don't understand that sometimes that's how some of us work through our mental health issues. So that's why this film was um, especially appealing to me. It's also just bonkers. Like it, the best thing I compared it to when I was selling it to Alicia was, do you remember the documentary called Tickled oh, a few favorite. years ago? Yes. Oh, my God. Yeah. I just I had <laughs> a very similar experience where I was like, what? <laughs> what? <laughs> so. I really don't want to give too much away because I want y'all to come see it. But basically, there is Pez World and Pez America. And this guy realized that I'm not getting the best Pez dispensers. So he went to the Pez factory. And hilarity comes from that. Just say there's two men... Thousands of Pez dispensers and one international conspiracy. Yes. <laughs> I like that this is three days of the condor of both like, Pez <laughs> dispensers. And it's all true. I think a lot like with international art house is that everyone kind of perceives it's like, well, they're just going to play the stuffy, boring ones. Mm-hmm. One, I can vouch for Crimes of the Future. Not a stuffy <laughs> or boring movie in any, any capacity, but the other two films. We are running the gamut here is what I'm trying to say. Next is uh, Dos Estaciones, as as we've already talked about. Oh. First, I think, I don't know if we mentioned this in our in our uh, Sundance episode, but Alicia and I tried very hard not to see the same movies at Sundance this year. This one I will fully well admit I put on my list because it was about tequila. So it is about a woman who runs a tequila distillery in Mexico and what she goes through to keep the business open during difficult financial times, but also the encroachment of these giant American corporations taking over all of these indigenous, with long cultural traditions, of course, of making tequila, and what she chooses to do to survive in that scenario. It is probably the first, like, truly serious dramatic film in the series. Mm-hmm. They all have their own form of drama. Sure, yeah. But it is not a black comedy. There are some comedic things that happen, certainly, because real life is is comedy, even when it's sad. It's, it's definitely, if we had to pick one, I don't even want to say it's a downer, but it's the, like, intense, dramatic 
think you have to have that <laughs> yeah as far as uh as far as like people's palates are concerned mm-hmm. like it can't all be candy and it can't all be downers and it's to get monotonous yeah. honestly after and a I, while. I also absolutely part of my intention in programming the film is having some of our audience reflect on their consumption and how it affects communities that they probably don't even think about at the other end of their buying habits very empathetic mm-hmm. truly is there one more film there for is this? one and this is the one neither of us have seen Listen, and and I feel like your listeners are getting a real insight into to programming. Brittany and I have a lot of overlap in the stuff that we like. We also have a lot of things that don't overlap, but there are only two. Yeah, of Alicia's us. not booking Cat Video Fest. No, I mean if there was some type of dog related video fest, one hundred percent. Hey, Alicia, are you ready to be a billionaire when you start when you when you direct the first dog video fest? Yeah, hold on, let me. Just download every saved TikTok I have. I'll be ready to go. So we have overlap. There are things that we don't overlap with. But there are only two of us. There are thousands of movies that we should technically be watching every year. It's not possible. possible. And that's not even to mention all the stuff that we've never seen that has already come out. And we do. We are very intentional when we... When films come in from distributors or when we're thinking about festivals or going to festivals to get as much coverage as we possibly can. There are always then those films that neither of us see, but they hit. And in the instance of our last film in New Americas, we absolutely have no doubts about the pedigree of the film. And so programming it was a no-brainer. A peach pong where Seth calls Memoria. Hey, starring yeah. Tilda Swinton, so yes. that didn't hurt either. It's it's always hard to be like a favorite film of this year, last year, especially like festival movies like this. It's so far in my top three favorite movies of the year, whatever that means. Mm. I didn't get to see it until this year. The writer film series played it, but mm. I was impatient. I really wanted to see it. <laughs> I am very excited to experience it. Uh, and this is not a dig at the writer film series. It does very good work because the whole idea of it being in a classroom is like very cool and the idea that they get to bring these international films. I want to see it in an art house theater. Well, also, his work is always work you want to see more than once. I mean, this is where I can speak. I have seen the movie. I was the one person <laughs> in the room who's seen the movie. It is a movie about many things, but it is about sound and how sound can be liminal, not just, uh, I think we try to think of sight. As like liminal, I think like because when you, you think of a liminal space, like, you know, be it like an abandoned Burger King or, you know, whatever, a thing that you can see, sound in itself is also very liminal. And so that is all I will say about the movie. It is an excellent performance from Tilda Swinton. I will warn, not warn, just for people, it's a very quiet movie and it is quite long. So when you come to this movie, so help me God, I need it. Whoever's doing the introduction to this, I'm talking to both of you right now. You need to have them <laughs> it stress. It might be you. It, it might be me, sure. <laughs> Is it you? I will literally, I think I might, if it's me, I will be like a I'm not continuing this introduction until everyone shuts off their cell phones. Mm-hmm. Like, it's like, it's truly a movie you do not want a cell phone to go off during. I had the opportunity to see this film not that long ago, but in a space that does not have the acoustics of Mm -hmm. IU Cinema, Mm -hmm. and I was like, no, thank you. This is a theatrical experience film, and this is a film that will be best, like, absorbed and experienced in a space with not just incredible projection, but really finely tuned sound. I have one more question for you, and then we will wrap up. Mm. Here's how I will phrase it. Someone can make me a delicious 
Very fulfilling, very varied meal, but I still kind of wanted a little bit of Taco Bell. What is a movie <laughs> from the North, from North America, or it could be from Central or South America, but I would assume North America that you were like, it kind of hurt a little bit that you're like, as much as I want to play this, we are not playing it this semester at the cinema. For whatever reason? No, no, you wanted to play it, but you had to make the hot, tough oh. decision to not Ooh. play it. Neptune Frost. I tried to talk Alicia out of Crimes of the Future so that we could fit Neptune Frost in. However, that is one of those films where we would have been using the justification of, well, it's a half U.S., half African production. Mm -hmm. So it could be New America's, but it also could be International Art House. Yeah, so we so will play it. I felt okay giving that up. I would like to be playing it sooner than January or February. But that was what made it possible to give it up. There were very many other titles that I was disappointed we never heard back from. Yeah, I really wanted to have Moon Age Daydream, mm -hmm. the new Bowie, mm -hmm. be part of New Americas. But it's just not, the timing is just totally off. So it will play at the cinema. Just later. <laughs> at some point, mm -hmm. just later. Yes. Brittany and Alicia, thank you for joining me once again. What would you like our listeners to tune in? Because we've gone to go, we've undergone a lot of changes this summer at the mm -hmm. cinema mm -hmm. into the mm -hmm. fall. So what do you want people's eyes and ears on? I want people to know that we actually have a new way of finding out about our schedule. It is something called Fourth Wall, and it is our bi-monthly calendar. It is being sent out in the mail, so you will get it at your house. If you don't, you can email or call the cinema and we'll put you on the list. You can get it through our social media. You can get it on our website. You can download a copy and keep it on your phone. You can... Uh, print it out and keep it in your bag. It unfolds to to stick on your fridge like an actual calendar so you can see everything that's coming up um, because we want that info is what is playing at the cinema to be in your hands at your fingertips immediately. Mm -hmm. And so that's something to look out for. It is actually hitting the, the USPS on August 10th. It is up on our website now. It is accessible on our socials now. Download that sucker. Keep them around. And these, all of these things will have links in the description of this episode. Great. Uh, Brittany, anything from you that you would like to... I, I am really excited that we, I have, you know, as we all, as programmers, have lists of series we'd love to do someday. And we get to finally do one that's been on my list for a while, which is our remade series. Yes. Oh, this one's good. So it's taking films that have been remade, showing the original first, and then following up and showing at least one of the recent remakes. Some of them have been remade um, several times. And we're going to have guests to talk about certain themes for each pairing. So uh, it will kick off in August. We had to move some things around because of some guest availability. But it will now kick off August 25th and 27th with The Thing from Another World. And The Thing. After the screening of The Thing on the 27th, there will be a conversation in the theater between a Foley artist and a sound expert on building sound worlds in genre films. So that's kicking off the series. It was very important to us that this did not become a series about here's why remakes suck. So we really wanted to dig into what is the distinction, what was different, what was um, considered in remaking it. Yes. Thanks for joining me, guys. You See are at so the welcome. Cinema. Thanks, Thanks for Asia. having us. Feel 
footage not found is a co-production of the Indiana University Cinema and WFIU Studios. Our theme song is Only Ones from the band Busman's Holiday off of their yet-to-be-released album, Good Songs. You can find out more about them and their upcoming album at busmansholidayband.com, as well as following them on Instagram at busmansholiday. You can follow the Indiana University Cinema on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at IU Cinema. Please make sure to visit cinema.indiana.edu to keep up to date on all IU Cinema programming. You can follow me on Twitter at SamuraiFlix and on Instagram at asia.essex, that's A-J-A dot E-S-S-E-X. My name is Asia Essex, reminding you not to shy away from cinema because you might just find something that you've been missing. This has been Footage Not Found. Good night. Good night.